Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Joshua chapter 9 and chapter 10. So we're going to be picking up in chapter 9. So as, as I was studying this this week uh, and, and last week as well, I, I sat down, I read through Joshua 9, and there's some things that God really sh- blessed me with, showed me. And I was like, man, I've never seen that before. God, thank you so much for showing me these like bits of for me, they were hidden in, in the text. Not like hidden as no one can ever find them, but more like the Spirit illuminated it for me. And I was really blessed. And hopefully the things that I've seen will bless you as well. So um, let's go ahead and do a little recap of the, what has happened so far. So we have Israel. Okay. They have come over this river called the Jordan. It stop for them so they get passed by. And they're coming into this land called the promised land. And this, this promised land was a land that God has said many years before, we'll give you this land to dwell in. We'll give you this land to be fruitful in it and multiply. And we want you to, I want you to, to take this land and be the nation that's going to bless all other nations. Okay. But they came into this land and they had a job to do. And this job was not fun. It's not easy. They had to go and they had to destroy all these people. And I know that Jimmy has in the past talked about, okay, why are they destroying all these people? Does God want us to destroy people? No, that wasn't the point. And I personally think in, in many ways that God was saying, you know, you people who are following after your own gods, doing all this horrendous stuff. I mean, they were, they were sacrificing children. They were doing anything that, they, that was right in their own mind. And God's like, no, I need you to go and wipe them out. Not only to wipe them out, but also so that you yourselves won't worship these gods. Because these gods were gods that did not love. They did not care about people. They just wanted to use them and abuse them. And so they're going into this land. And the first people that they meet um, is is Jericho. They get to Jericho and, and they walk around Jericho, as God commanded seven times, and the walls came tumbling down. You know the song? You know when your kid just sing it? And the walls came tumbling down. So they did this in obedience. And they're like, oh man, this is awesome. You know, God, thank you so much for causing this to happen. And then they come to the second city after that called Ai. And in this city, uh, they did a little differently. Okay. They, they went up, but while they went up towards the city, they actually had someone in their camp that had been disobeying God. So God did not give them the victory. And they're like, what's going on, God? I thought you were with us. And God actually had to take this person, his name was um, Achan or Echan um, in the Hebrew, he would take this person and he would pull him out and, and use him as an example that the sin of one affects the sin, the, the whole, the congregation. So that sin of that one person, people that, that were around them were accountable with them for that. And so God used him as an example. And so same thing in our lives. Like if we know someone is, is sinning, that we need to go to the person and say, hey, this is not what God desires. That was a serious way of taking care of it. They, they killed him. This day and age, I mean, the Bible talks about specifically about how to go to someone when they're in sin and how we need to restore them. So it's, it's different these days, but the same thing is to rid sin. All right, so that's where we're at. We've had uh, crossing the Jordan. We had the first two cities. And now we're in, in Joshua chapter 9. And we 
start out with these kings, okay? They, they hear about what's happening in, uh, with, with Israel, and they're scared. I mean, they just destroyed two cities. And when, when they were going to this, these, uh, into the promised land, they, they knew that these cities were huge, and they were not going to be able to take care of them without God's help. So, but um, this king... Uh, these kings come together and they're like, you know what? They don't see God. They just see what Israel is doing. They're, and they're scared. We're like, okay, well, let's band together. And so these cities, uh, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all come together. And so as you're reading this, if you've looked back at Deuteronomy, God actually says these specific people go and kill. But there's one group that was left out of this group, and they're called the Girgashites. And it's like, hey, where, where are these people? Well, it's not, if, um, different Jewish rabbis have shown that um, the Girgashites were actually a small group of people, and sometimes they are left out in this group of people. All right. So we have the uh, all these people coming together and like, hey, let's destroy Israel. All right. But we have this one group of people called the Gibeonites. Now they were Canaanites. But they lived in the city of Gibeon, so I'm calling them Gibeonites. Okay, uh, and these people of Gibeon, they heard about Israel coming, and they did a little something different. They were cunning, and I don't know if you've heard that word before. Previously, someone else who's cunning, but we're going to talk about the Gibeons, the Gibeonites today, and what they did differently than the kings that came together to destroy Israel. So, who are the Gibeonites? So that list that I went through, you're like, where was that on that list? The, actually, the, the Gibeonites, they're Canaanites, and then they had the Canaanites uh, had uh, divided up into Hivites, and they're called Hivites in Joshua 11, verse 19. They're, um, they're actually descendant from Ham, and one of the three sons of Noah. And so they heard about Israel approaching, and they're like, okay, what do we do? How do we defeat these people? I guess we can't, so let's be cunning. And so what they decided to do was dress in like these really old clothes with holes in them, and, and they took bread and they double-baked it so that when they put it in their hand and, and, and crumple it, it would just get, go into dust. And they took wineskins and put old wineskins, and they put patches on it, and, and, and they made it look like they'd been traveling for such a long time. And some uh, commentaries say that when they— did this, uh, they sort of somehow got a hold of uh, the Mosaic text and knew that people that were from far off that said that let's be peaceful uh, to Israel were actually accepted. So somehow they knew that or was the custom at the time, one of the two. So they come in and they said, you know, we're going to be um, cunning and and we're going to um, trick Israel. We're going to trick them into being peaceful with us. Now, there's another character who was sort of like this, in, in the right way, I believe. But um, you guys know Rahab? Heard Rahab in the past? All right. So like the Gibeonites, Rahab was a native of Canaan. Like the Gibeonites, she had confidence that God was giving the land to Israel. Gibeon did too. They're like, oh, we see God doing this. Like the Gibeonites, she responded with fear before God's people, Israel. And then like the Gibeonites, Rahab acted with cunning in order that she and her family might find refuge among the people of Israel. 
So instead of fighting, they came to them and they looked old. And, and so now we have these people coming in and Joshua's like, oh, who are these people? Hey, how are, who are you? Where have you come from? They're like, oh, we come from this far away land. You don't know this place. It's just somewhere, you know, across the ocean, you know, no, just far away. You, you don't know this place, but we have proof. We have this bread that if we put our hands, it just disintegrates, but it was nice and fresh when we left. We have this wine that was nice and it was new, but now it's old and our wineskins are bursting. <laughs> and so um, Joshua has this moment of, oh, okay, well, I guess because the law permits it, I can make peace with you. And so in Deuteronomy 7, uh, it says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, um, and clears away many nations before you, the, Hitt the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. <clears throat> and when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them. That's what Joshua is about to do, make a covenant. And show no favor, but thus you shall do to them you shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, and hew, uh, hew down their asherim, and burn their graven images with fire. And you, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the people who are, are on the face of the earth. So that's what I, I believe they knew was coming. But since they were from far off, they're tricking them. What came to Joshua's mind was probably this, Deuteronomy uh, 20, verses 10 through 12. And when you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds to you peaceably and it opens up, then all the people who are found in it shall be uh, do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But, it makes, uh, but if it makes no peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And so these people are like, we're not going to make war. We're going to see if we can be peaceful with you. Um, and you know what Joshua does? Joshua says, okay. He gets with the elders. The elders talk. They get together. And they're like, okay, I, I think this is what we should be doing. I think this is how we should treat these sojourners. <clears throat> and so the sojourners come, and they have this covenant meal together. Now, a covenant is when you tell another person that you're going to um, do something for them, Okay. And you seal that by a meal or a sacrifice. And so um, we have different covenants throughout the Bible. And in this particular covenant, they actually sat down to have a meal with them. And so if they gave of their provisions for this meal, what are the things that they had? They had bread and they had wine. And this is all they had to give. So Joshua and the elders took this bread and took this wine and ate of it. Does that remind you of anything else? Bread, wine, everything. All right. So we have this old bread, and we have this, this wine that is just in these old sacks that are bursting. And that's how they make the covenant. Now, I was thinking about this. And I was like, you know what? Why, why is it important that when Jesus said, did this, he actually said, this bread is my body, and this wine is my blood. I just got to think, I was like, wow, this is interesting. I was like, I think it's because they, Jesus Christ gave himself as a sacrifice. And so you're supposed to 
when, what you give as the sacrifice, you're actually supposed to eat it to make the covenant, right? So they weren't going to eat Jesus. He was sitting at the table with them, but he used the bread and the wine to represent who he was. I, was, I told that to Jimmy. He's like, huh, I thought about it before. You know, they're making a covenant. You're supposed to take the sacrifice that you're giving to make the covenant and you're supposed to eat it. I was like, wow, that's a good point. But anyways, they take this to make the covenant. And in that moment, Joshua lets his pride lead him. And it's like, what are you talking about? Pride? I mean, these people were sojourners. It's not pride. He knew exactly what was, was happening. He knew the scriptures left and right. Why, why would this be pride? And, and so uh, in, in this, it's, it's not that Joshua was wanting to not uh, follow the word of God. Joshua let these people distract him from listening to God. So our first point is, we cannot let our pride distract us from listening to God. We cannot say, okay, we know the scripture. We know what we're supposed to do. Let's just do it. Okay. A lot of people, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, read the word of God, know it to this, to this fullest, and then just do it. I agree. I agree the, with the word of God hundred percent. The thing is sometimes we don't take into effect is how the spirit leads us in, in actually doing the word of God. Because here, it wasn't against the word of God that he was doing. He wasn't going to God and asking for details that he didn't have. And that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit gives us things that we don't understand. And so in this moment, Joshua should have stopped and he should have listened. He should have listened to God. And I, I believe, honestly, God would say, hey, guess what? These people are lying. Don't make a covenant with them. They're, for, they're right here, which we'll soon find out that they were close by. And, but it's too late. Joshua is like, you know what? I, I, um, these people come in, we'll make a covenant. And so um, I was thinking about, you know, how this applies in my own life. My, my daughter, I love her so much, Libby. Uh, she has such a servant's heart and she desires so much to obey mommy and daddy. And we ask you to do something and she'll do it. But sometimes, and you guys have probably been here, but you ask your child to do something when, and you're not there. You just go ask them to do it. But when you get there, and you're the one in charge now, and you've asked them to do something, and they go and do it. But there's something that you see that's different in that situation. They don't see it. They're just going by that rule. They're just doing that rule. They do, and 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 you you're like, you're like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You know this. And my daughter, she she's so good at following rules, and I'm very thankful for that. But sometimes in our own life, we can do that with God, where we can be so stringent about following the word of God, that we don't do it in the right time, in the right order. We don't pray through things. We don't allow the Spirit guide us in, in using the word of God. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the word of God is false. Anyways. I'm saying we should follow the word of God, but we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate it for us, to know how to use it properly. I mean, the word of God is a double-edged sword. Sometimes we can take it and slice people in half because we don't know how to wield this sword. And that's why we need the Spirit to teach us how to use the Word of God. And so in this, we have Joshua not consulting God in this. Um, and the same question for us. Do we consistently look to God in the situations that we live? I mean, there, there's nowhere in the Scripture that says, when I go to college, oh God, where do I go to college? Oh look, right here. So, no, it doesn't say that. We need to consult the Lord on what He wants us to do. And so here, uh, we have... The, the idea that we need to trust God more than our own 
knowledge too, more than what we see. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do we do that? We cannot let our pride distract us from listening to God. Now, Joshua had done it. He fell into the trap that God said to not fall into. They had these Gibeonites who were right close by them. And they were just about, about to get found out. So they took a, a three-day journey to the city called Gibeon. And they're like, wait, you guys are from the city? How dare you? How dare you do this? How dare you lie to us? But it's too late. And Joshua knows it. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. These people came, they made a covenant with you, but then they lied to you. And you're going to continue this covenant? Thing is, when they lied to them, they still made this covenant by the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 23, 21, 21 says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Uh-oh. I mean, Joshua's like, I, I, I don't know what to do other than just continue in this covenant. He actually says, But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You should be careful to do what is past your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Oh man, think about that. Think about us and the things that we say flippantly. And we're like, oh my goodness, I, I said I was going to do that. I, I have to do that now. I don't, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And Joshua's like, man, I, I should just destroy these people. But he can't now. And so the, the leaders get together and they make a decision. They said, okay, we're going to bring these people in and we are going to make them servants. We're going to make them servants to all of Israel. We're going to make them woodcutters and water bearers. And they were going to cut wood for them and bring it to them so they didn't have to do it, get water and everything. But not only were they going to make it for them, but they're also going to make it for the temple or the, uh, the tabernacle at the time. They're going to make them get close to what it means to worship God to be close to the presence of God. And so if, if you have this nation coming in and they believe in other gods and they decide to, um, uh, you, they trick you and you bring them, what are you going to do? Okay, well, I got to teach them. I got to train them how not to follow those gods anymore, but now to follow my God. Okay? Now, it's an interesting thing when they did this. Um, they, they don't, I mean, Psalms haven't been written yet. But in Psalm 48, 10, it actually says, it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. So in bringing them into this servicehood, and they actually call, said that we are going to curse you. We're going to curse you to this. They didn't know it. In a sense, they were blessing them. Okay? And so Joshua had disobeyed God by not listening to him. But even though God, uh, he had disobeyed God, God was actually taking this, and he was going to redeem it. And that comes to our next point. God does redeem our disobedience, but he desires our obedience. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've just extremely messed up. I'm like, God, what am I going to do? This is my fault. I did it. I don't know if I can turn this around. God, I need your help. I need your help to turn this around. And God does that. God takes the things that I've done wrong, and he redeems them. And, and so, um, I want to 
look back through just some of the things that, that we have covered um, for, for the Gibeonites, okay? They, they come in and um, they are lie, they lie, then they, um, they travel three days, okay? And then they're found out, then they're cursed, and then they're made servants, okay? All right, so this is, this is what the first thing that happens to some sort of city that has some sort of talking when it comes to Israel. Everything else they've destroyed. And it's like, okay, how are these people seeing what God is doing? How, how are they being, uh, how is God showing his love to the nations? Because that's God's heart. God's heart is to show love to, to everyone and to care for us. The thing is, for us as people, we don't always want that. And I think that this, with the Gibeonites coming in, even though Joshua disobeyed, I think it's God actually redeeming the situation and blessing Gibeon, no matter if they come in as slaves. And he also did this to us, and I'm going to use the word Gentiles, as Gentiles, people that are not of Israel, okay, Gentiles. And, and I have just some comparisons I want you to see, all right? So first of all, the Gibeonites, they were a nation other than Israel. They weren't part of Israel. The Gentiles were of a nation other than Israel. So we were not a part of Israel at one point. The Gibeonites heard the bad news of Israel and they feared. The Gentiles heard the good news of the gospel and they feared. The Gibeonites came in deceit before Joshua and the elders, but Jesus came in truth before Israel and the Gentiles. Joshua made a covenant with them by taking their bread and their wine. Jesus made a covenant with us by giving us bread, being his body, and wine, being his blood. And after three days, the Gibeonites were found to be liars, and they were humbled. And after three days in the grave, Jesus rose from the dead and was found to be truthful and was exalted. The Gibeonites said, whatever you see right in your sight, do to us. And that's when they made them slaves and cursed them. The Gentiles trusted Jesus and let him tell them what is right and wrong. The Gibeonites were cursed and were included in Israel by being made servants before the people and the Lord. But Jesus redefined what it meant to be the greatest and became a servant and included us in Israel by faith. And so the, this thing that is so far detached from what Jesus did, I mean, this is thousands of years later. Joshua decided he was going to go in this direction and not listen to God. But even in his disobedience, later on, God redeemed it. At least that's what I see. As I was reading through the scripture, I was like, God, you redeemed what Joshua did for the Gibeonites. That was the first glimpse of God actually including any other nation in, into, into Israel. And, and just even to see how God uh, blessed the Gibeonites throughout the years. So uh, just a few examples. When Canaan began to be divided later on, Joshua gave the city of Gibeon to the line of Aaron. And it became a special place where God was known. I mean, that wouldn't happen if the, the Gibeonites hadn't come into Israel. Okay? And this is God just slowly redeeming it. 400 years later, after uh, with David, uh, he put the tabernacle in the city of Gibeon. That meant that the altar and the priests were in Gibeon as well. One of David's dearest friends, Jonathan, one of his mightiest men that were closest to him in battle, was from Gibeon. 
And there's all these things. And now I know Gibeon wasn't the easiest to get along with, but at the same time, they were part of Israel. They brought them in. So just remember, God does redeem our disobedience. He does redeem it if we ask him to, but he desires our obedience first. All right. Now we're moving on to chapter 10. I was, I got to the, uh, to, to nine, I was like, I get to end of nine. I was like, there's so much more I can cover, but we're just going to move on into chapter 10. So, so far we have Joshua and his pride. He decided to not listen to God. And now he has the Gibeonites in Israel. Okay. So Joshua chapter, chapter 10 starts out. We have this other king. His name is Adonai Zedek. Okay. And he's the king of Jerusalem. Oh, cool. Jerusalem. Now it's, there's, there's Jerusalem in the Bible. Jerusalem is not inhabited by uh, Israel right now. Okay. So he inhabits this place. And so he hears of this destruction that Israel is doing and he's scared too. And then he heard that the Gibeonites are with Israel. I was like, oh my goodness, because these people were mighty men. They were men that just like destroy cities, you know? And they're like, oh, what do we do? So instead of being cunning, he decides, okay, we're going to get together and we're going to fight with five different kings. All right. So now Gibeon's scared. I mean, they can take on one city, but can they take on five different cities at one point? No, they can't. So what they do is they send a word to Israel and said, we are your servants. We are servants now. Come and help us. And at this point, you have that, you know, Israel could have been like, you know what? You lied to us still. So we are not going to come to protect us. But they, again, are reminded that they made a vow. And, and by the Lord, they made that vow and said, okay, we are going to have to come and protect them. But there, there could be another reason other than just the vow thing. Okay. So first of all, yes, they could come and be defending them because of the vow. But the second thing is that they have a chance to take down five cities at one time. Because God said, you're going to come into this place and I'm going to take down one city after the next, okay? So they go up to Gilgal, and they travel, um, they travel all night long. They get there, and they're ready for battle, okay? They're probably exhausted, but they come straight into a battle. Before they do, Joshua stops. And you know what he does this time? He talks to God. And God does an amazing thing. He talks, but he talks to God. And God says, I've delivered them into your hands. Oh my goodness. So many times in our lives, we get to this big moment. We know it's going to be big. Do we stop and talk to God? Sometimes that's what's missing. That we don't allow him to lead us, to say, don't go or, or go. And so he stops. And in the midst of that, God does some amazing things. So what the Gibeonites did and what Israel did at the same time, Gibeon, they called on the name of their Lord, Israel right now, for their salvation. And then Israel, they called on the name of the Lord for their salvation as well. And the same thing for us. When we're in a place where just so many things are coming at us. Do we call on the name of the Lord for our salvation? Not even in 
the salvation of our sins, but even in life? Do we hand over and call, Lord, come and do these things for us? Because we can't do them. So as I was going through this, I'm like, you know, Gibeon didn't know Yahweh, but they knew Israel, and Israel was a representation of Yahweh. So they called on the Lord that they knew, the Lord that they were serving. And I, I got the question, like, do we represent God that much? Do we represent Christ that much? So people can look to us and say, man, who do you serve? Or, I mean, can I call on you for help? Because I know the God that you serve, or I've seen something different in you. Do they do that? Or do they just see us with the same worries, the same fears, the hopelessness? Do we attach ourselves to God so much that people would call on us for help and we can direct them straight to Jesus Christ, our Savior? We need to every day be calling on the name of the Lord for our salvation. Psalm 122, 1 through 2 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, they're at this point. God's given them over. They're going to the Amorites. The first thing God does, he sends the whole Amorite camp into panic. I don't know what that looks like. I mean, it might look like VBS sometimes, but you, know, like you get up there and, and, and they're going to fight. And all of a sudden, everyone's like running around like, what's going on? We, we just, we're standing here and God's already putting them into panic. Okay, that's the first thing he did. Second thing he did, he had large stones drop out of the sky and kill people. And I, I don't know about you guys, but if I saw large stones drop out of the sky, I don't think I would run in there too and try to defeat these people. But they did. And the amazing thing is that God didn't hit any Israelites. He was hitting all the Amorites. I mean, God's a good shot. I mean, you got to say, I mean, seriously. So God put them in a panic. God sent rocks from the sky to destroy their enemies. And finally, he had the sun stand still. Stand still. I mean, how does that happen? stop. I mean, I can't, who can, we can't stop the sun. Only God can. But how does that actually happen scientifically? Like, did he stop the earth from rotating? Like, all of a sudden, boom, and then the whole, all the water and everything in the land just shift and, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, fine. No, I don't, I don't think he did that. I actually read a a huge long article about what it could be and how how long it was. It's actually for 23 hours and 20 minutes. And people are like, oh, there's this other time where Hezekiah asked uh, God to, to bring back the sun 10%, uh, 10%, and that was the other 40 minutes of, of God stop, uh, having a full, full 24 hours. Because they look in the past and they say, oh, there's a missing day. Um, but I went through all that, and I was like, honestly, I think God, instead of stopping the earth from rotating, he actually slowed down the earth for the day to be an extra 24 hours. So in total, it slowed down to where the sun was moving at a, you know, 48-hour day instead of a 24-hour day. Now, how God caused uh, nothing to happen on earth, like destruction, all that kind of stuff, I don't know. He's God. He just does, he does these things. I don't think we'll ever know 
And, and that's, I mean, even Job, I mean, God's talking to Job. Like, what do you think you know? I know more than you. Let me show you what I know. I mean, the same thing here. They went to God and God did these amazing things. And the same thing for us. God came from heaven to earth as a person. He lived a perfect life and died. God died. He didn't put our enemies in confusion. He, he didn't just cause hail to come out of the sky and defeat people. He didn't cause just the sun to stand still. He sent his son to us to die on the cross for something we did. Not, not him, for something that we did. So why, why don't we trust God in all, all things? If he has given everything for us, why don't we put down our pride and listen to him? Why don't we ask him to lead us in all the things? Why don't we call on the name of the Lord for salvation? Now, I think the hardest thing for us is surrendering. We all like to be gods. We like to be gods of our own life. We like to do our own thing. We all like to see things the way we see them and respond to them how we want to. But God is saying, just like the Gibeonites said, we will do. We'll let you define what is right and we'll let you define what is wrong. And that's what making someone a Lord of you is. Yielding them say, this is what I can and cannot do. This is what you say is right is right and wrong is wrong. We don't like doing that. But the way we come to Jesus Christ is we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's the first thing. And then we believe that God raised him from the dead. Okay? And these are important. That God raised him from the dead because we have this problem in ourselves. It's called sin. Sin is doing anything that's different than what God desires us to do. And sin eventually pays out. The wages that we get paid out for sin is death. We're all going to die one day. He said, if you make me Lord, you will be saved. If you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you will be saved because Jesus is the one who paid the debt for that sin. So death doesn't come as a permanent. We have the resurrection, the beauty of the resurrection. We have the ability to not only be resurrected, but be resurrected to a new life, an eternal life, a, a new body. I, I'm, I'm excited one day to have a new body. You know, We have the ability to know God, to be close to him. One thing back in the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle, but they didn't have individual spirit of God on every single person to be able to commune with God, to talk with God. And so for you, ask a question. Have you made Jesus Christ your Lord? And I mean Lord in every aspect. Do you stop regularly and say, God, what do I do? How, how do I live my life? I'm reading your word. How do I apply it? 
Spirit, lead me in this. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect at it, but have you even have you even said, I think I can let go of myself, my flesh, and say, God, I'm done with this drama. I'm done with this life. I want you to be my Lord. Have you done that? And if you have, question again, do people look to you and see Christ in you? Do they see you calling on the name of the Lord? They see you trusting in him. I mean, this is a hard time in human history. 2020 has not been fun whatsoever. It's been crazy thing after crazy thing after tragedy after whatever is coming next. But when people look at us, will they see Christ or will they see the fear of the world? When they talk to us, do we talk about the news that's happening or do we talk about the hope of Christ no matter what the news says? So I want to I challenge you. If you have not surrendered your life to the Lord, who knows what is right and wrong, he created all things. He knows how things work, all right? I would ask that you would do that, that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so you'll be saved, okay? If you haven't done that, I pray that you would do that today. And if you have done that, I pray that you'd be thinking about how your life represents Christ to other people. Now, I don't mean going around and, and trying to be righteous all the time, like, oh, I do what's right. Uh. But where does your life point people to making yourself look better? I do that sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did this. Uh. When I was preparing for the sermon, I was thinking, like, oh, no, what can I say here? What can I do that? I read a quote that's like, you know, sermons aren't about showing what, how much knowledge you know. It's about taking something from the Bible and making it understandable for people. That's it. How to apply it to our lives. Because the Bible is complicated. How do we surrender our lives to allow God to point others to him through us? So I want to challenge you. If you're a believer in the Lord, ask God, how am I listening to you? How am I allowing you to take the times I was disobedient and redeem them? And how am I obeying you right now? And then how, Lord, am I calling on your name every single day? and be an example for you. Just some things to take away from Joshua chapter 9 and chapter 10. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your presence here today, for your word that speaks truth. Lord, with all this, you love and care for us, and you love and care for so many people. Help us to get past ourselves and to share that love with the world so that they can know the same love you have for us. May they see us calling upon you. May they see us being an example of what Jesus Christ was. And when they would come to us and we can point them to you. Help us to lay down our pride and take up your cross and listen to your spirit. Help us to go... At, to this week and, and just have these things in our mind. Have these things in our mind. How are we lifting you up and calling you on your name, Lord, in every circumstance that others may see that and glorify the Father in heaven. We ask that you help us to remember those things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.